good afternoon or good morning, whatever it is. This is ACBDA Advocacy 101. I would like to introduce our two speakers, Chris Gray, ACBDA president, and Clack Ratchful. <laughs> he is the advocacy director on governmental affairs for ACBDA. Chris, go right ahead and start. Thank you very much, Danette, and uh, appreciate you helping us out by moderating this show today and appreciate all the work you did along with others on the the ACBDA Convention Committee. Great job, very ambitious, and I think uh, pretty darn successful so far. It's a great pleasure to be here with Clark today, and we have a few things we want to talk about. We uh, have thought there might be a lot of questions and uh, discussion to go on, so we're going to entertain a a good bit of that if we can. But first, we do have some remarks we want to make. And uh, I might start out by saying uh, a big thank you, big shout out to uh, Clark. You mentioned ACBDA at least two or three times in your formal remarks to ACB yesterday, tells me that we're on your radar, and I really, really do appreciate that. My involvement in ACBDA began at its inception, but my real involvement with a variety of health-related issues didn't really get going until about uh, 2008, Sue Amner came to me, and she wanted to approach the uh, American Cancer Society and other organizations. She had a particular interest in in that, having been a survivor of breast cancer. And uh, I went to the board of ACB and to Mitch and said, "We, we need to create a health issues task force. Uh, Mitch did that, and uh, I was on it. Sue was on it. In fact, Sue Amateur and Denise Decker were both on that committee, and they're both now angels on the wall for ACB. Now, please spare me being an angel on the wall for as long as you can. (laughs) But uh, in any event, we, we did work with the American Cancer Society. We had great success. They did Braille publications. They did online publications. They worked on the website. And after working with them, we tried to make similar inroads with the American Diabetes Association. As responsive as American Cancer Society had been, American Diabetes Association was equal in the other direction. Uh, We did have a couple of meetings with them. We had some conversations, but primarily they made it clear that uh, blindness was not really on their radar, that uh, they might, you know, put out some information about uh, a, a talking series of meters, but no evaluation, yada, yada, yada. They weren't interested in advocating by our side with uh, manufacturers of blood glucose meters, although you would have thought they'd be a natural. They weren't interested in working on their website, even though we did give them lots of information about 
inaccessibility of their website itself and the many books and literature and so forth that was on the website. It was really a, a very disappointing experience, and especially after having had so much success with the American Cancer Society. I believe that success could be there, but it's going to take a lot of advocacy and, and a lot more work. And uh, I hope and believe that ACBDA will step up to the plate and be a key factor in that work. I mean, they're consumers, we're consumers, why not? Something I want to draw your attention to uh, in this presentation is a document uh, that I primarily wrote several months ago, but was vetted through ACBDA's board of directors, as well as a group of key people, including Clark from the American Council of the Blind, Clark, Eric, uh, Tony, and that is the ACB Bill of Rights for people who are blind and visually impaired. It's my belief that with this Bill of Rights, having been adopted by the board and the membership of ACBDA and approved by ACB key leaders, we have a new tool to approach uh, the American Diabetes Association, uh, CMS Medicare, the Food and Drug Administration, and the Congress. And I think that we need to do that with, with uh, a lot of vigor, a lot of strength, but it, it says what we believe, what we want, what we advocate for. We advocate for accessible medical equipment, accessible education for people who are blind and visually impaired, access in hospitals that, that uh, often we don't have today. And uh, it's been on the website. And I'll distribute it again here down the road, but uh, it's, you know, <clears throat> something we all need to work on and be a part of. I'm, I'm thinking it might not have been in a newsletter yet, but I, I could be wrong about that. But uh, the, the Bill of Rights for us is, is a key component of promoting our message. And I know that uh, Tony Stevens has told me that he believes we can take this to uh, other industry leaders and companies and, and people who sponsor ACB and interest them in, in our needs and uh, so forth. As you know, we have spent a great deal of time advocating with manufacturers, Abbott Diabetes Care in particular, Dexcom, uh, We've had some preliminary discussions with Tandem, letters. We've even had a meeting with Abbott. Those have been uh, important, but of limited success, I must say. And I worked directly with Abbott for about a year and a half and developed for them a prototype of a talking blood glucose meter based on the freestyle. It was portable, battery operated. You would carry it in your pocket along with the meter. They loved it. And guess what they did with it? <laughs> they put it on the shelf <clears throat> because they felt FDA approval was just too hard, 
to attain. Um, so their commitment is is uh, not there, and we learned that in our meeting with Abbott. I should say our. I was not at that meeting, but uh, uh, Eric and I believe Clark and others were. And uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, I personally hope that I'm wrong. <clears throat> I'd like to be wrong, but I do not see a future in the short term in dealing with manufacturers. It's just as bad as the audio description activities that came about with the 21st Century Telecommunications Act. The manufacturers fought us tooth and nail until the act was passed and the regulations were promulgated. And all of a sudden, a group of people who just said they couldn't do anything to help us out have done a tremendous amount of work and made great strides in that area. We've had a lot of that featured here at the ACB convention, ABC, uh, Comcast, so many other people. Now, I believe based on that experience that the same could be true, maybe with a few more hurdles <laughs> because of the FDA, you understand, uh, <clears throat> with, with manufacturers of diabetes equipment. And we just have to move forward. I think if I had to choose an arena that to me is, is the most potentially viable, it's either some kind of legal pursuit uh, or some kind of legislative pursuit. Wouldn't it be great <clears throat> if we could have something like the Telecommunications Act for durable medical equipment? And there's a growing desire to do that today. You know, as I've often said, yes, it's, it's equipment for people who, who need to test their blood sugar and stuff like that. But what about a high-end blood pressure meter, a high-end scale, uh, other equipment that can be made accessible? So really, we need to expand our thinking into the area of durable medical equipment. <clears throat> I want to bring your attention now to uh, a bill which was introduced by Senators Collins and Shaheen. Uh, and uh, Collins from Maine. Shaheen, is that New Hampshire? I think it is. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, Clark, or somebody else. Anyway, the most important thing about this is the bill. It's S2901. The title of the bill is Improving. Medicare Beneficiary Access to Innovative Diabetes Technologies Act. That's what it's called. That's a mouthful. I had to write that down <laughs> to be able to put it here in the presentation. Uh, on ACB Diabetics, there was a, a press release that Nancy Madalis was kind enough to provide and really brought forward the awareness of this bill. It was introduced about three weeks ago, and its scope is broad. Its intentions, I think, are, are very broad, and it proposes to create a task force. And the task force would be <clears throat> writing reports to the president for improvements in access to diabetes equipment, insulin, and uh, basically insist 
that Social Security, CMS, Medicare review all their policies in light of recommendations made by the task force and bring far greater accessibility to anybody who is a person with diabetes. Now, they don't mention equipment on there, and uh, I wish they would, and we, we're going to talk about that with them. Uh, I've been in touch with the, the legislative assistant in uh, Senator Collins' office, and uh, that's how I got the bill number. It wasn't even in the press release, oddly enough. But anyway, that's how I got the bill number and uh, talked about getting together and, and discussing this further. And I've talked with uh, Clark about that. And we want to see if we can make this, if not an all-inclusive, all-purpose bill, a bill that could make a huge difference in our lives in the future. Uh, the office doesn't know a lot about blindness, and so we've got some educating to do. And uh, we need to raise a coherent view of our of our issues and a picture of what's going on. But uh, I'm excited about this. I really am. It, it's the first thing I've seen legislatively that uh, speaks to our issues. As I say, I'd love to see a 21st century durable medical equipment act. And that could happen, too. If this could morph into something like that, wouldn't that be great? But even so, to have a task force to study so many of our issues and make those issues available for consideration at the highest levels of government, at the White House, at CMS, Medicare, FDA, is a big step forward. Once again, S2901, Improving Medicare Beneficiary Access to Innovative Diabetes Technology. That's the name of the act. So, something to be excited about. With all those things being said, let me introduce you to uh, Clark Rockville. He's a Governmental Affairs Director ACB. Thank you again, Clark, for your wonderful mentions of ACBDA yesterday. Uh, it means a lot to us. <laughs> it really does. Clark was one of the people instrumental in moving forward the series of podcasts released by ACB to highlight uh, Diabetes Awareness Month first. He's going to talk to you about uh, the uh, initiatives ACB is now undertaking a particular interest to us and anything else he wants to talk about. So, Clark, go ahead. Chris, thank you so much for that introduction. And uh, hello, ACBDA, Diabetics in Action. You know, it's, it's easy to include in an update that I get to take credit for all the work that you all are doing when you all are doing such great work to keep uh, your issues and the issues important to your affiliate and to uh, ACB members as well as the broader community living with diabetes and with diabetes-related vision loss. Uh, you're doing such great work to keep those issues front and center. 
So hello, everyone. I am Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB, a role that I've been in for a little over two years now. And there has been, as Chris has mentioned, a lot going on related to diabetes and healthcare over the, the past two years. I joined ACB at, at roughly the same time that ACB was uh, reaching out to Abbott concerning the uh, freestyle continuous glucose monitor and the outreach we did to Abbott again last year concerning the freestyle Libre 2. Um, over this period of time, we've also had several ACB resolutions brought forward by uh, ACBDA that have been adopted by the broader organization. We've also had legislative imperatives related to introducing, uh, not only to trying to introduce legislation, but as Chris mentioned, working on a three-pronged approach to tackle this issue. Um, a little bit later on, you'll hear about another three-pronged approach in the Get Up and Get Moving campaign. But in terms <laughs> of uh, diabetes and diabetic retinopathy advocacy, strictly within the advocacy realm, we looked at that here on the, the federal level through administrative and regulatory changes. So communicating with the Department of Health and Human Services, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the Food and Drug Administration about what needs to be done in terms of the certification, testing, and approval process for durable medical equipment to include accessibility. Uh, again, I joined ACB in 2019, and initially the response that we received from CMS was uh, – well, Chris compared it to, or I'll compare it to Chris's analogy of the reception received by the American Diabetes Association. Uh, we didn't we didn't make much headway at that time. Uh, it's the landscape's a little bit different now, and with a new administration brings new opportunity. We are still working with our same partners of the Washington Lawyers Committee and the folks at Crowell Mooring. Uh, who do a lot of work in the Medicare and healthcare space to reignite those conversations with the Department of Health and Human Services, CMS, and the FDA. One of the roadblocks that we run into uh, in the conversations with CMS is that they say they don't have the authority to include accessibility uh, in their criteria for durable medical equipment. Obviously, we think that they do, and that was a, a very narrow interpretation of their, their statute. So it's, it's why we need to continue our advocacy work in this arena. And as new folks are being appointed and hired at CMS and FDA, why we need to continue these conversations. Second, as Chris already mentioned, uh, another approach was the legislative front. So in 2019, one of our legislative imperatives was trying to work with Congress to introduce legislation using the authority under Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act, which is the anti-discrimination language within health care uh, included in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, uh, to use that language 
to say that by not including accessibility and durable medical equipment, that uh, these, these companies are discriminating against people who are blind and experiencing vision loss. We've not been successful in introducing that legislation, uh, but again, new administration, new Congress, and potentially a new focus on how Section 1557 will be administered. Uh, the, the previous administration used 1557 to focus a lot on, um, shall we call them, uh, basic religious freedoms and reproductive rights. Uh, but we think there is an opportunity still within that provision to focus on discrimination in the you know, civil rights, social justice context, which includes people with disabilities and would certainly include people who are blind uh, and don't currently have access to the information from durable medical equipment, including CGMs, insulin pumps, et cetera. So more to come there. Chris, I, I think it's interesting. The bill you've highlighted from Senator Collins and Shaheen, uh, they are the Senate co-chairs, uh, the Senate co-chairs of the Diabetes Caucus. And they exactly. Also have- and they also have another bill related to um, diabetes information. And some interesting facts about the, the press release that I was just reviewing about that legislation also reduced, introduced earlier this month, um, you know, basically making the argument about why this is so important. important. They highlight the 26 million Americans with diabetes the 79 million Americans with pre-diabetes, the the Mm -hmm. fact that by 2050, it's estimated that a third of Americans will have diabetes, that one in 10 healthcare dollars is spent on diabetes and a third, so it's one in 10 of overall healthcare dollars and one third of Medicare dollars are spent on the treatment of diabetes. My goodness. That's, it, that's great information right? to have out there. Yes, it is. And they, I'm staggered. <laughs> yeah. And they, they also highlight that uh, diabetes is a, a gateway disease that can lead to uh, other conditions, including blindness. So I, I think we, at least from a factual standpoint, we are on their radar. You all are on their radar. And Chris, thank you for uh, introducing the organization to their offices, especially related to this significant issue. Um, These offices also in 2017 provided uh, Medicare coverage for continuous glucose monitors. In 2018, worked to have uh, smartphones being covered for the use of connecting to CGMs as well. Excellent so. points. Excellent points. And you know, Clark, I also forgot to say, a beauty of this is that uh, Senator Collins is a Republican and Shaheen's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. So we have a bipartisan approach, hopefully here. Absolutely, Chris. I, this is much like blindness. I, I don't think diabetes discriminates. It's not a red issue. It's not yeah. a blue issue. Um, we all know it disproportionately impacts people of color. 
people who are lower income or of, you know, more averse socioeconomic backgrounds, which includes people with other disabilities as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that is relatable. And I think this is one area where, Chris, I know this is something that you're going to touch on as well, but making this issue more relatable, I think is something that, that we ACB and ACBDA can do. And one example of that, that I would give is that earlier this year, Dan Spoon, uh, president of ACB, Dan Spoon, made a video highlighting how and why a piece of uh, diagnostic medical equipment that his doctor asked him to use for 21 days was inaccessible to him. So much like folks were able to do at this year's virtual DC leadership conference, demonstrating low vision devices, inaccessible exercise and fitness equipment, we now have this tool that we can share with offices to help illustrate to them what the actual accessibility barriers are and so they can see it for themselves. So, And, and Chris, I think at this point I'll take a pause because I know you want to highlight uh, some, some other ways that folks are able to uh, kind of do that grassroots advocacy and personal advocacy in this space as well. Sure, sure. Well, you know, one way uh, that many people don't think about that much when you first get started in this arena is being a good advocate to your primary care physician, your endocrinologist, uh, if you have a nephrologist to, to them, focusing their attention on what you can do and how they can help you do it even better. When I went to my uh, endocrinologist and said, I'd like to have the Libre, I said, do you know about it? Well, he did know all about it. And he said, you know, I, I didn't uh, think about you because I didn't know there was any way that you could use it. And uh, I said, well, if nothing else, I can use it to have somebody read me the numbers. But I'm, I said, I'm sure there's a way to do that. I walked out of the office with a prescription, which if I had not asked for, I wouldn't have gotten. So, you know, I didn't have to be a, a hardcore advocate that day, but uh, it was advocacy of passing along information. I, I often talk to people about diabetic educators, and you've heard quite a bit about, uh, about this group of folks. But uh, when I was first diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic, um, I was feeling discouraged and depressed, and I know a lot of you out there probably have had similar feelings. And uh, as it happened, as luck would have it, I met a diabetic educator. Uh, this was discovered due to a, a, a totally different injury. So I was mostly recovering from, from that injury and uh, not really even wanting to deal with diabetes. And she's like, well, guess what? You've got it. You have to deal with it. And I can show you how. And that was the great thing she said. The, the not so great thing she said was that with uh, the current testing procedures that existed in 2003, 
you can get readings from meters and they can talk to you. And it'll be about 70 to 75% effective. And I thought to myself, good Lord, we as blind people are having to live in an environment where our lives are depending on something at a 70% level. I mean, come on. We demand a 99% probability of, of goodness level in so many of the things that uh, we use for, for medications and, and, and so forth. So um, to take that message forward is important. Now, CGMs have made that uh, much, much better, hugely better. And yet we know that many of us are having a hard time getting CGMs. I got lucky, and part of my good luck early on was that I was willing and, and able, I guess I should say, to pay for the reader and, and the strips at least to get started and to prove whether it could or couldn't be done. But now we know it can be done. We know that people can benefit from these products. And it doesn't matter if it's an Abbott <clears throat> Freestyle or a, a, a Dexcom unit or whatever else comes along. We know they work. We know they can be made accessible. And to some degree, uh, some of them are via cell phone. And if we go to our doctors and tell them this, you never know when you might find a doctor who will, will advocate with the manufacturers because they have a much more direct link with than we do because they make the recommendations for the products. And so the manufacturers, sales reps, listen to them. And if the doctors will listen to us and pass our message forward, it's one form of advocacy. And we have no idea how effective it is, but I think long-term, if enough of us do it, it will have a significant beneficial effect. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you think about exercise equipment. We've talked a little bit about that. Advocating for accessible exercise equipment is something we can do uh, through our, our, our gyms, through our purchases with uh, equipment manufacturers. And if you're working with a, a group of people, you know, your physician, your endocrinologist, your, your, your educator, some people get, you know, have health management coaches through their HMOs and stuff like that, and let them know, you know, I really can walk. <laughs> I really can exercise. And it will help me manage uh, this whole diabetes thing in, in a positive way, which is good for everybody. So being a self-advocate is critical. And uh, trust me, I get it. I mean, self-advocacy is difficult. It's easy to advocate for other people. There's something about advocating for yourself that seems a little bit troubling to people. And I've had this happen to me, believe it or not. I consider myself a pretty strong advocate. But when it's for you, and then you're taking maybe a risk or whatever, and you don't know what's going to happen, what the reaction is going to be, um, people do hesitate. Don't hesitate. Or try not to hesitate. 
And being an advocate doesn't mean being a jerk. I mean, let's face it, <laughs> you, uh, you can be nice about it. You can be, you know, proactive, not reactive, not angry. Most people that I have worked with, when I talk with them about what I can do and what I'd like to do, uh, they're happy. They, they weren't expecting it. They were expecting uh, defeatist reactions or, or just, you know, uh, not wanting to do anything. So just that small change in your attitude can make a big, big difference. Thanks, Chris. And one, the final prong before I uh, bring up something else that Chris mentioned of our three-pronged approach was legal advocacy. Uh, And this is an area that it has proved frustrating at times, shall we say. So uh, Chris and Tom and several other members of ACBDA have uh, spoken with attorneys uh, through ACB. We've spoken with other uh, disability advocacy organizations. And it's been very frustrating to find a, a legal hook or path forward that we are confident in and that we believe would find that would provide uh, a legal analysis that would be favorable to our community to move accessibility forward. Uh, That doesn't mean it's the end. Uh, This is still an issue that we continue to raise with attorneys, whether they are part of the uh, national protection and advocacy network or Earlier today, we heard from Kathy Martinez, the uh, new executive director of Disability Rights Advocates. And on Monday, attorneys from DRA were on two separate panels. And on both panels, they were asked questions about accessible, durable medical equipment. So I think that this is an issue that has uh, they need they want to learn more about and they want to continue conversations with ACB and ACBDA. Uh, regarding this issue. So there are times in advocacy, and this is certainly one of those issues where uh, an old cycling coach once told me that the only two life coaches you need are coffee and wine, because (laughs) coffee can tell you that today's your day, you can do anything, go get them, grab them by the tail, and wine's there because, well, there's always next time, right? So (laughs) you go through the highs and the lows, and we're certainly now in the coffee phase. I think these, these issues are garnering more attention. Um, you know, we're seeing this in, in legislation and in the conversations that we are having with the administration, but we're also seeing this from a renewed interest from our partners in the advocacy space. And I'll even point out that the National Federation of the Blind passed a resolution this year uh, calling for legislation to be introduced regarding durable medical equipment. So we are certainly not alone um, this is this is not an ACB issue or an NFB issue. This is a people with disabilities, people with vision loss, people living with diabetes issue. So we'll we'll continue to find partners and move this issue forward, no matter where, when, and how we can. And then finally, Chris, you touched on this. Um, we certainly don't want the the medical and the healthcare system to be inaccessible 
and then only made accessible once you have diabetes, right? So that's why ACV is putting focus on our get up and get moving campaign, focusing on public awareness, partnerships, and advocacy. And as Chris mentioned, one of our legislative imperatives this year is, is the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. We are eagerly awaiting its reintroduction here in the 117th Congress because we want our members in the broader disability community uh, to be able to exercise their rights of, to access places of public accommodation, but also have equal access to equipment, classes, information, so that we can take back control of our healthcare and our lives so that we have the same access as the sighted world, whether that's using equipment at home or at gyms next year when we're in Omaha at the convention center and hotel um, so that we don't have these chronic conditions, these exacerbated conditions due to lack of independence, um, lack of accessibility. So We'll always look for more ways to to move issues forward. Again, whether it's exercise and fitness equipment, getting greater access to uh, electronic health portals, uh, telehealth services, patient portals, information so that when we are leaving the doctor's office or a hospital, that we have accessible prescriptions and patient care information to hopefully avoid diseases like diabetes before they start. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a great, great approach. And uh, we, we heard yesterday about some of the great benefits of exercise, even just getting on a treadmill 15 minutes uh, after each meal being a huge help. And if we could do more of that and even prevent diabetes, that would, that would be great. I had a I had a text from uh, from Tom Toe and Tom, thank you for that. And he, he suggested I ought to mention my series of podcasts that I did about Libre. They're about the original Libre. I have not updated them because the new Libre isn't accessible, and I'm afraid I'm not totally prepared for this. And I'm I hesitate to go in my computer and hunt around right now because Zoom for me has been so unstable. This week. Yeah. However, if you do a Google search on Let's Talk Libre and perhaps my name, Chris Gray, G-R-A-Y, you'll find those podcasts. I tell you in detail what Libre is, how to use it, and uh, how to install the, uh, the, the strips, uh, well, tags, really, on, on the back of your arm to actually do the testing. I bring that up primarily because that's a component where education is helpful. And I wanted to provide education and a forum for people to talk about this meter. And I had hoped it might be a forum to encourage avid diabetes care to do something because I take them to task on some of the things that are not accessible. But doggone it, they just don't seem to have listened to my podcasts. I can't imagine why, but we have to try. And a lot of this is about trying. Uh, you know, if at first you don't succeed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's see. I really have said most of what I need to say and have okay. thought about saying. 
Clark? Are you ready for questions? Not yet. Okay. Go well, ahead, Clark. Clark, yeah. you think we're ready to start taking questions? Yeah, I think so, Chris. All okay. Right. So, so, so thank you, Chris and Clark. This was excellent, excellent information. Important to advocate for yourself and for ACBDA, Diabetics in Action. Thank you so much. Um, so let's, um, if you have questions, which I'm sure that we do have lots of questions, <laughs> raise your hand. And Lucy, can you tell people how to do this? You bet. Thank if you, you are on a PC, it is Alt-Y. On a Mac, it's option Y. On your push button and landline phones, it is star nine. And <clears throat> and your uh, smart apps, it is going to be about in the middle of your screen, right on the main screen in a webinar. So first we have area code 317. Uh, greetings, fellow ACB. Go ACB. My Invocana has been raised in cost, 2,400%. But my main purpose, and this is difficult because this is self-advocacy, the people I see for my diabetic care note that there are meters that have very large print dials with high contrast. They're legacy meters. There are 7 million people in the United States that have either um, NALD, hemophilia, or forms of von Willebrand's disease. Excuse me for the drilling that you may be hearing. That's okay. Legacy meters measure much more accuracy accurately than the modern meters. Is there any way in our legitimate right to talking meters that some meters used by persons with partial vision and those required by people with bleeding disorders can be retained on the market so that Persons who have a more complicated situation with diabetes can also be served. I love this discussion, and I totally agree with talking meters. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, I know that uh, for people with bleeding issues in particular, there has been a lot of issues that were not addressed as the level of blood became less and less and less. In fact, people with low vision often couldn't even see the drop of blood to get on the strip and uh, the the need for less blood became a problem. Um, I'm speaking a little out of school here because since I don't have that issue, I don't have as much awareness as I might, but um, it seems to me that you might consider looking into a continuous glucose monitor because there you, you, Put the strip in, it does not enter your bloodstream. It uses a subcutaneous kind of method. It uses what they call interstitial fluid, not blood, but other fluid which is just barely under the surface of your skin. Maybe in that way you could avoid some of the, uh, some of the blood issues. But there again, uh, I'm no expert. You'd want to take this up with a, a diabetic educator who is experienced in those areas and, you know, go on from there. Um, it, it is unfortunate. The older meters have been made obsolete. You can't get the scripts anymore. You can't get the meters repaired. Um, progress isn't always the best thing, but I would take a re- real serious look at CGMs and see if they might offer you a, a solution. Okay. 
Annie? Uh, yes, hi. Um, I have a couple of questions. Number one, could you place, li- uh, could you spell Libre for me? How are you spelling that? L I B R E. L I B R E. Okay. My it's next- not intuitive, is it? <laughs> okay. My other question is uh, too, I. I'm wondering how frequently or what is the time period that Medicare will replace a glucose meter? Um, That's one. The other is I have a client who is severe diabetic. Um, He lost usage of his hands and arms uh, because of neuropathy. And he's been trying desperately to have an implant where the insulin will be dispensed, um, you know, um, calibrated to dispense when he needs it, and his blood sugar to be tested. And he said um, that for some reason, the Social Security is not wanting to do that. Any thought well, in that? What he's wanting is an insulin pump. Right. And, and uh, Social Security has caused us a lot of problems with insulin pumps. But it, it strikes me that, and uh, Clark, jump in here if you, if you want to, his first line of defense ought to be to get his healthcare team, his endocrinologist, maybe others, but the endocrinologist for sure, to write a letter to Medicare or Medicaid, whichever one he's using, saying that what he is requesting is medically necessary. Now, you know, if it is Medicare, Medicaid, he, that's one issue. If he's got a Medicare Part B, that's another issue. There are layers of complication to be sorted through. But a strong letter from your endocrinologist uh, is probably the way to start. Clark, do you have any other comments on that? No, I I agree with Chris being able to document the medical need and maintaining that paper trail, uh, you know, email or written communications will be very important. Uh, You know, if this is something that is denied further and then is something that uh, either needs to be appealed or taken to an additional advocacy routes in the future, um, whether it's for, again, for an appeal or also being able to be used as an advocacy tool when communicating with lawmakers and officials, showing them the hoops that are necessary to jump through just to receive uh, you know, necessary accommodations for medical care. That's Thank a very you, good Clark. point. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Kim. I have, um, I've been trying to write things down. Um, could you give me the bill number that the senator uh, is bringing out in his name again? Okay. It, it's a, it's a, a woman sponsor from the Republican party, uh, Susan uh-huh. Collins. And, uh, Shaheen, I believe, is also a woman, but I don't know her first name. Clark may know. But anyway, the most important thing is the bill number, and that's S for Senate, S-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2
2901. I hear that Perkins Brailler. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good and, for you. Collins is Susan? Yes. Yeah. And also, um, the website that, that Chris mentioned, could you uh, repeat that again, Chris? I don't have the website in front of me oh. right now, and I'm afraid to fool with my computer and upset Zoom, which would then upset me, and yeah. heaven knows. I don't believe it would I upset will, me, too. I, <laughs> <laughs> I will put it out in a few days on the ACB diabetics list for you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Kim. Randy. My, my question is, and I, I don't mean to create complication with the question, more just the idea that if it's been such a difficult issue finding legal ways to address issues with pharma, uh, I'm just wondering if since we have defined the, the, the issue of durable medical equipment access and accessibility as being a blindness issue and not owned exclusively by ACB or NFB, I'm just wondering if this might be an organization or a way that the two organizations could work together um, to apply the pressure needed to get some changes made. Clark, why don't you take that one first? Yeah, th- thanks for that question, Randy. And I I agree with you. I certainly hope so. Over the the past year, the at the national level, the ACB president and the NFB president. Um, and our staffs have convened regular meetings. We're on a, a little bit of a hiatus as we were both planning for our conventions, but we will speak again in August. And something tells me this issue, you know, in addition to sharing the, um, you know, what went well and what could have been improved about conventions, you know, in the virtual environment, something tells me this issue will come up as an area of possible collaboration. And I'll also say that with Chris's point on uh, the American Diabetes Association, you know, I don't think that that's a lost cause either. We've we've had corporate partners as well as uh, advocacy partners who work with the the ADA. I feel weird calling them that, but the ADA <laughs> um, to you know current partners of ACB offer to help us make inroads there as well. So again, I'm I'm feeling optimistic at this at this point in time. You know, we'll we'll find out how how warranted that is going forward. But I, I think we at least have the like the green sprouts that we can try to uh, cultivate and nurture and grow into meaningful and positive change here in the future. That's so, great. Clark. Are you going to be at that, or is that just the president's and his board or whatever? So typically for those conversations, it's the the president and the uh, executive directors and policy teams. But you you can kind of make sure that that this is addressed. I I will let uh, President Spoon and Eric Bridges yes. know that this is an item that we would like to discuss at that next meeting. Thank you, Alice. And to follow to follow on, I, I'm inclined to to agree. Legislative, uh, a legislative approach would be the best if we could get it done. I am not pessimistic about legal ways of moving forward over 
my time in ACB, I've heard about this not being legally possible, that not being legally viable. All of them are both today, and we just haven't gotten there yet with, with durable medical okay. equipment. So, Randy, don't despair, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. So, thank you. Okay, then- Alice. Hi, Chris and Clark. Um, hey, Alice, how are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. Two Good. things. Um, first of all, uh, a question, and then, but I, I have a comment about um, that that kind of relates to it. But first of all, what is and and one person asked this a while ago, and then asked something else, and so the first part didn't get answered. But how long? With because I know with the monitors it used to be you could get them replaced. You know Medicare would replace every couple of years. What is it for the continuing glucose monitors um, before you can you know request a replacement? Do well, we I didn't answer the question because I'm not positive, but I think I know the answer. So let me give you a, a guarded answer. In the case of Libre, the reader is uh, approved by the FDA for a three-year period. And as I understand it, at the end of those three years, the reader will stop working. Mm -hmm. Now, that's important and not important all at one time. Because if your reader stops, you still can use the Abbott discs on your arm and read it with your cell phone. And your cell phone doesn't time out like the reader so I'm not sure if we need to worry about the overall issue, Alice, about the time frame, because we can use our phones instead and ignore the time frame. But if we did have to worry about it, it's the FDA who designates the time and not, this case, Medicare. Okay. And if I well, can that's good to know, for a minute, but- the, the Dexcom, the reader, is not accessible. You have to use your iPhone, but the, the, the reader is, the receiver is nowhere accessible. Right. right. Well, that was why my, my, my I asked about replacement, Chris, because right now I've got, I don't have the newer, you know, I got mine just mm-hmm. a little, of, just a year ago. And so the reader doesn't work. I, I And I'm using my phone, um, but, I you know, that's why I wondered. But now my other part of this goes to when I was in the hospital just recently, um, I was first told I would be allowed for them to get my readings off of my um, off of my DCM uh, and not mm-hmm. have to do finger sticks. Then all of a sudden, it became an issue because it didn't. Um, there was no way they could put it into the system, which <coughs> made no sense to me mm-hmm. because by pricking my finger, they still had to type it into the computer. <laughs> So they literally, and I had just put, just before I ended up in the hospital, I had just put the sensor on and, you know, um, they're good for 14 days. And if you, they, you lose your sensor before the time your next group of sensors come, you're SOL. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure what the answer is, but it seems to me that if we're going to have this equipment, the companies ought to be working more with. The, in fact, a lot of the doctors at the hospital, because this hick town I live in, didn't even have a clue what it was. And one doctor was so impressed. He said, well, I'm going to suggest this to my wife, who's a diabetic. This is just perfect. 
But well, Alice, at you, the same time, they ruined my, you know, my sensor. And I had to wait mm. for when I got home. Then I still had to wait for two weeks before my new sensors arrived. You, you raise a good point. You raise a good point. And I think the fundamental problem here is that there is significant mistrust about CGMs in the medical community. Or there's more buy-in to the older meters for whatever other reason, which I don't care to speculate about. But, for example, if you're a veteran, you about can't get a CGM. They just don't prescribe them. And I know it's a financial issue, but they say that they're not as accurate, that they have problems. No, they have a thousand excuses. Uh, I have a friend who actually is not blind, who spent nine months digging a CGM out of the VA. (laughs) He finally got it because he pleaded severe neuropathy. But uh, until then, he couldn't do it. And uh, so I I think you have this mistrust, this lack of knowledge. It's hard to fight through it. Um, And and I'm surprised your your hospital wouldn't use the readings, but it's it's uh, it's a situation that's evolving. I've said many times that I think within five years the traditional finger stick method of testing blood won't be with us anymore. And maybe five's wrong, maybe ten's right, but it's inevitable that that old-fashioned technology is going to go away because people won't stand for it when they find out there's an alternative. And as the cost of that alternative decreases, they will just insist on having the new technology. And Chris, this is Clark, that not necessarily the perspective of ACB, but just my own observations. I think about all the sessions where we have this week on technology whether it's a smart home, the work we're doing with accessible fitness and exercise um, tonight on financial literacy, it's technology is moving forward. I think with the innovations to wearable technology as well, it will become more and more commonplace to have, whether it's your watch speaking to your phone um, or your watch able to connect to a sensor but then it might also have sensors built into it as well. Mm-hmm. So we do, ACB does have partners in the technology space. And these are also companies that we are raising these issues with. So as they innovate, as they look at the market and where there are opportunities for growth and make no, mis- no mistake, there's a lot of money in healthcare. Uh, as they eye those markets, they do so with accessibility as a core value, like they do with their other product lines and technologies as well. That's a great point. Great point. All right. Area code 508, ending in 613. Good afternoon, Chris and Clark. This is Jane Perry from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, Jane. Connection. Um, I have two questions, and I'd like to just um, begin by saying I am a type 2 diabetic, but I have other issues, preferably stage 4 renal failure. And I have a syndrome of my eye disease that has diabetes involved with it, but I have diabetes in my family, which is Brady Beetle syndrome. And I am a facilitator of the BBS Weight Watchers 
group that has started and I just got back into. So I'm changing my lifestyle, but I advocate and live on Cape Cod where the snowbirds come out north in this wonderful time of year. And my concern is getting technical technology and getting them in the hands of people who are older, who can't afford to buy a cell phone or a computer, I mean an iPhone or a computer, or doesn't want to learn how to do that. But yet they just want to live their lives as an older person that could have diabetes and help them live out their lives. The other part is you talked about the second bill. I don't know if that's been introduced. If so, do you have a bill number? Because this is segueing into a resolution that's going to be coming out, I believe, that is near and dear to my heart. Because I was a healthcare professional for 28 years. I left Family Hospital in 2004. 17 of those years was as a visually impaired employee. And now I'm a patient. And they have no clue how to deal with people who have diabetes or have low vision issues, but they deal with death and dying every day. And that is to have mandatory in-service, not only for people that work there, but also diabetic education so that they can treat us with dignity and that we can live our lives independently. So I look forward to participating in next Wednesday's resolutions call, and I will be in contact with Mr. Clark because that's near and dear to my heart. And a woman that was on another call or session, she is a nurse practitioner, I believe, from Washington State, and she lost her job, just like I did, to blindness. So I hope you can answer my two questions as, what is that bill that's going to be introduced? If it has been introduced, when will um, we get a bill number on that second piece that has that long name that Clark, I mean, that Chris tried to tell us about? And also, <laughs> how can we help the older populations to deal with their diabetes? Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day. Well, the bill number I mentioned is 2901, S2901. And um, the other bill that, that Clark mentioned, I don't know if we know the number. Yeah, Chris, what was the title of your bill, 2901? 2901 is called Improving Medicare Beneficiary Access to Innovative Diabetes technology. Okay. Technologies, and, I should say. Yes. And that, the primary focus of that bill is on the, um, the high costs of diabetes technology and how we can bring those down. The, the bill that I mentioned, I do not have a bill number, but it is the expanding access to diabetes self-management Training Act. So again, that's the expanding access to diabetes self-management training act. And that was also introduced by Senator Collins from Maine and Senator Shaheen, S-H-A-H-E-E-N. Very good. Very good. Uh, Hey, um, in terms of hospital education, it's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. The more diabetics there are, I think the more hospitals are going to educate their staffs. And I agree with you. The need is significant in terms of older people managing their diabetes. Uh, I hope they come here. I hope they go elsewhere. 
and find diabetic educators or good diabetes management programs. Unfortunately, if a person chooses the option to do nothing, uh, you'll probably die. And that's not really an option that I recommend or embrace or, <laughs> or believe in. Paul, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yes, good morning. Um, uh, Chris, I think you know which Paul this is. Yeah, uh, how are you? I'm doing fine. Um, on your comments about the VA one, and I have another one, um, here in Kansas City, they have embraced the use of the Freestyle Libre. And as a veteran, I got one about a year, a little bit over a year ago. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, in fact, through the course of things, they even offered me a Dexcom. <laughs> so when I, what I'm, and I say this to say that it's not a VA wide thing that they're not dealing with CGMs. Mm-hmm. And, well, thank and you for that. That's something that you can use as a, as a talking point because it's not VA wide. Okay, good. Okay. I'm glad to hear that for, for veteran sakes. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if you've ever met Don Overton. I know Clark has, I believe. And, um, Yes. From, from, and uh, that's something you could mention to him about veterans and their access to CG, CGMs and other contemporary equipment. Right. And great, talking great, with great. him. Uh, the other thing, you know, all the talk about the, the, the use of a cell phone, and I don't know where this would come in, but I was just wondering whether there could be anybody who would develop another device that's not a cell phone, but has what's needed in it to be a reader, you mm-hmm. know, cause they're electronics, they're chips, you know, on a board. And, um, just, a, just an idea. I don't have it designed, but <laughs> that there could be an alternative to a 900, uh, mm-hmm. six to 900 plus cell phone as a mobile phone smartphone but that could be that could come in at a lower price point but that could be then more readily available to people and possibly even sponsored and subsidized mm-hmm. just an idea it was interesting point interesting point and you know i meant I, I meant to say a big shout out to anybody else here from missouri all my friends out there including paul and uh, hope you guys are doing well and clark over to you yeah, and so I think that that's a, a very uh, a very interesting and timely point. So it, earlier on, I mentioned the the video that President Dan Spoon did on his home uh, diagnostic equipment. That was a wearable device that, guess what, sent a signal. It was basically sent it to a smartphone, but all that smartphone was programmed to do was to receive the signal from the wearable piece of technology and then to transmit that signal to his doctor. Otherwise, it was the hardware was that of a cell phone. It was actually a cell phone running on the Android operating system, which we know has accessibility built in. So it's just that it was designed and coded in a way that did not uh, interface and activate that accessibility suite. I think that this is going to become a lot more common because why, why create your own reader and package with your own reader 
if you can buy the hardware off the shelf and just you know dial up some code and I'm, I'm sure the information access committee at ACB is more knowledgeable on this topic than I am, um, but I, I'm sure that companies like Abbott and Dexcom and others in the healthcare space will begin to see this as a, a cost savings um, in a way to provide an accessible reader out of the box, uh, dare I even say, in the future. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, we are running out of time and we may have time for one more question. If you make it quick, cause I want to give the commercial and the code, the ending code too. Okay. Steve. Hey everybody. It's Steve Heeson from Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey Steve. Good to hear you. Yeah. Good to be on the call. And, uh, Clark, it's a long time NIB advocate. Uh, I remember you and I'm glad you're with ACB now, but, uh, I've been, <laughs> Diabetic since November 28, 2001. Been using G5 and G6 for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're great. Um, I wish I could see the trends on there. I can't really access that, but I'm glad that it can be shared with my doctor. But the trend information would be very helpful to know because mm-hmm. I can make choices on my own. You know, I can make choices how to care for myself on my own if I have the info. Yeah. So if we could work on that trend information. Trend information. Yep. So well, it's, it's relying on the doctor. It's on our radar. Uh, G5 and G6 refers to uh, uh, Dexcom models, for those who may not know. Danette, thank you so much for Yes, thank you so much, Chris and Clark. Thanks for taking your time out of of your day, Clark. So um, I just want to give a quick commercial about ACBDA. It's American Council of Blind, Diabetics in Action. And to, to our dues are $10. And if you want to... Our email list, just to talk to our secretary or to pay dues, you can email our secretary at acbdaorg at gmail.com. And to join our listserv, you don't have to be a paid member, but we would love it if you would. Our, to email our, our email list is acbda-diabetics plus subs- subscribe, I can talk to, plus subscribe at acblists.org. Thank you so much for joining us. And we do have uh, another session. Thank you, Clark. 